wondered how you can just lay something down sometimes and get it so tangled up. All right, there we go. Good to see everybody's back out. Man, we have a good crowd for a Sunday afternoon. Glad to see everybody. Glad you're here. Tonight we're going to talk about an incident in the Apostle Peter's life. And if that rings a bell, some of you who were here last year know that I preached about this time of the year, maybe a little even earlier in the year. Uh, Sunday evenings, I preached about a half dozen lessons on Peter, but I stopped at, um, it was all about the time that, that Peter was interacting with Jesus and so forth, and this is something that comes later. But really, it's not part of that series. This is more, this more grows out of um, our Sunday morning class, a couple of you are in that class downstairs, um, but our, our Sunday morning class downstairs is something that we've been talking about. Uh, as we look at the Mormon church and talking about some of the, uh, the beliefs and so forth that have to do with that church and uh, prejudices, etc., that are involved. So I thought it would be an appropriate time to preach this lesson. And I want to go back, if you'll begin with me, let's go back and look at Luke chapter 22. And this is not quite where we left Peter. We went a little past this last time, but it was during the last lesson that I mentioned this incident. But if we look at some background information to what I'm calling the Galatian incident, we will get to it. But if we look at some background information, we realize that Peter, there, there are some weaknesses, if you will, some character traits that Peter has. And I think they all play into the, the lesson we're going to look at tonight. So I want to kind of go back and do some background on the character of Peter. You remember the night of the betrayal that Peter had uh, adamantly said he would never forsake Jesus. He would even die, he'd go to prison with him, he'd even die with him, but he would never forsake him. And of course Jesus made the famous uh, prophecy, prediction, that before the night was over, Peter would in fact deny him three times, and the cock would crow, crow twice. And when you look at Luke 22 and down about verse 54, um, you can certainly see Peter... Uh, after he's fled with all the apostles, Peter comes back. John kind of comes back and goes into the uh, the palace there, the house where Jesus is being illegally tried that night. Don't want to get off into that, but anyway, being uh, tried by the, the council, and Peter follows afar off in verse 54. And you know what ensues? Different ones begin to to charge him. You were with this man. You're one of this man's disciples. Your speech betrays you. Um, you know, he's from Galilee. Apparently, as I read, they, they spoke with an accent that was, you know, kind of like if you uh, come from certain parts in our country, you know. You have an accent, people can, hey, where are you from? You know, that happens all the time. But anyway, um, he had that. And Peter got to the point, obviously, if you're looking at Luke 22, and you'll drop down to the latter part of it. Oh, go down to verse 60. Man, I don't know what you're saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the cock crew. The Lord turned and he looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. Verse 62, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now I look at that story again or mention it because I, I believe, and this is just personal opinion, but take it with a grain of salt, but this is what I think. I think Peter was being honest when he said, I won't forsake you. I will defend you. 
I think when the mob came to arrest Jesus and he charges the mob, or at least is willing to fight a whole mob with one sword, I think that kind of shows he's willing in that incident to fight and die for Jesus. So I don't think he's a coward in that sense. Um, he, he definitely means what he says when he says it. And yet, like a lot of people, there are certain situations you can be in and be as brave and maybe braver than anyone. And yet there are other situations that you get into and you're not so brave. And for Peter, it seems like at least that he's brave if it's just your standard fight. In other words, if you've got to go into battle and you need a good soldier, a good warrior, he's there. But if it is the idea of kind of people closing in and charging him and putting him on the spot or getting him, you know, push him into a corner, as we sometimes will say, that kind of thing, then he sort of loses it. And uh, he's, you know, he, he doesn't like that kind of pressure, and he breaks under it, and he does here. No, I'm not one of his disciples. I don't know him. He cursed. He swore that he didn't. Now, going also, as a, at least in background to this situation, I want you to turn over with me to Acts chapter 10. Because Peter is a normal, what I would consider to be, not, not a crazy outlandish, but a normal Jew. There are wonderful things about Peter, and don't misunderstand. You know when I preach that lesson that, uh, you know, that, that he's one of my favorite characters. I, I love the Peter, and I love who he is and what he was. But being a normal Jew, he would be raised, as it were, with certain prejudices. Um, they go beyond what God teaches, and they really turn into prejudices. When I was looking at this lesson and preparing for it, I thought about growing up in the South, and I was born in 1959, so before civil rights was, you know, passed and uh, schools were all integrated and all of that kind of thing, I was a little kid, and yet at the same time, you know, I took notice of some of the things. I've mentioned it before, but I'll say it again. There was a store down at the end of the block where I lived when I was five and six years old, and this would have been before you know, the civil rights and integration and so forth. And But it's when it was all being discussed. And when some of the stuff in Alabama, and you guys know the history, you know the, the water hoses and the dogs and everything else, and a lot of that stuff's on television. Everybody was talking about it everywhere. I mean, it's right there in our backyard. I can remember going down to the store, and old men would be sitting around, and I can remember them talking, and they were talking about civil rights, and they were talking about the things going on. Very prejudiced comments, etc. It's hard to imagine now, but I had at that point in my life, and I'm, again, I'm talking about five and six years old, I had never interacted with a black person at all other than the old lady who would come and help my grandmother out at her house, and she always seemed fine to me. You know, she normal person. But I'd never interacted with, I mean, didn't go to school with anyone, didn't have any friends, nobody lived in the neighborhood, etc., etc. And I thought it was very strange. You know, you're a little kid and you're watching all that and going on. But it was the culture, and it was what, it's not the right and wrong of it, it's just what was. And the same thing was true for Peter. And so when you come to Acts chapter 10, and I want you to think about this story here. No doubt Jesus had told the apostles, 
earlier and told them, certainly when he commissioned them after the resurrection, you're going to go into all the world. Now, all the world literally meant all the world. And you're going to preach the gospel to Jews, and then you're going to branch out to Samaria, Samaritans, and then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if they were ten, uh, you know, uh, attentive in synagogue, they would have seen all those prophecies that talked about the Messiah carrying the gospel to all the world. It didn't matter. Because their culture was very prejudiced, very biased. As the woman in that passage we read this morning in John 4, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Period. You just don't interact with them. They're unclean. They're not, you know, they're, they're not people you're supposed to be around. You don't go into their houses. You don't certainly give a drink of water or accept one from someone. You just have that prejudice. And I don't think God ever meant for that. I do believe God wanted the line kept pure. I do believe that is, you know, has to do with the whole spiritual condition of the Jews and bringing Jesus and all of that. But I don't think God ever meant for them to have that kind of prejudice, that kind of bias, and yet they do. Jesus certainly doesn't have it. As we see him interacting with Samaritans and interacting with Gentiles at times, etc. So he certainly doesn't have it. But when you come to Acts 10... Cornelius is a good man. I'm going to paraphrase here. I assume you know the story. Cornelius is a good man. He prays to God. And God takes notice of his prayers. And God is going to bring the gospel to Cornelius. So if you'll notice, down in in the first paragraph, at the end of it, send to Joppa. And there will be a man there and so forth. He'll tell you what you need to do. Then the Bible changes to God dealing with Peter. I'm not going to read all of this, but notice it was the next day, verse 9. And during this time, God demonstrates in a vision. It's the hour of prayer, one of the three of the day. Peter is praying. And he fell into a trance and he saw a vision. And God let down a, it's called a sheet or a whatever in different translations. But God let down this piece of material that had all kinds of animals. Everything in it. All manner, it says. And you know that in the law of Moses, there were very strict dietary laws. There were a few animals they could eat, and everything else, for one reason or another, they could not touch, much less eat. But here, God has every manner of beast in this sheet or whatever, and tells Peter very explicitly, rise, Peter, verse 13 it is here, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter answers God back in verse 14 and says, no. (laughs) So God tells him to do it and he says, not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. Now you notice as it goes on here that the Holy Spirit repeats this three times to tell Peter things have changed. What once you considered common or unclean, whether that's animals to be eaten or people in which to interact. They are no longer uncommon or unclean. But Peter is very careful here. He clearly understands the meaning of the vision. If you'll drop down to verse 23, he says, when these guys came from Cornelius to visit him, he called them in. Notice, and he lodged them. I take it that would have been the first time in Peter's life a Gentile ever spent the night in his house. Okay, But he called them in and lodged them. And the next day, Peter went away with them, and, of course, certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. 
And he'll make that point clear later. So now Jews and Gentiles are together. He also will tell Cornelius, drop down to verse 28, when it says that when he went into Cornelius' house and he talked with him, he said, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to, quote, keep company or even to come into one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So he got it. He got the point. Now, I'm stressing that because I think it's important to understand. He comes from a background where Jews will not go into a Gentile's house, and they will not have one come into theirs. Remember, even on the morning of the crucifixion, the Jews carried Jesus to Pilate. Pilate had Jesus come inside. The Jews stayed outside because they ain't going into a Gentile, even a palace. It's unclean, and they'll have nothing to do with it. And that's the background Peter comes from. That's how he was raised. It was how he grew up. It's what he thinks. It's how he feels. And he clearly tells Cornelius that. But you'll notice down in verse 34, I mean, Cornelius relates his part. Peter relates his part. Look down at verse 34. Wes mentioned this in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. Peter opened uh, his mouth and he said, Of a truth I perceive." That God is no respecter of persons, meaning there is no prejudice with God. But in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. Verse 36, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase, he is Lord of all. Down in verse 43, to him give all the prophets witness, witness that... Through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive forgiveness or remission of sins. Peter gets the point. The gospel is for everybody. All right. Now, these seem to be like two totally unrelated incidents, so let me tie them together. By figuring dates and so forth and so on, most people believe that Peter was probably around Jesus' age or even older a little older, when he was called to be an apostle. How old would that be? Well, Jesus was about 30. Peter is somewhere, let's say, between 30 and 40 at the very oldest, although he's probably only around the same age or just a couple of years old. Now, why do I say that? Well, because Peter is called about A.D. 25. And if he's 30 years old in A.D. 25, if he's Jesus' age, then when he goes to visit Cornelius here, well, let's back up. When he goes through that ordeal on the night of the betrayal, it would be around A.D. 28, and he will be about 33 years old, and all of that being pressured and everything, in other words, it's, it's like this. Psychologists will tell you your personality traits really develop. By the time you reach about 25 to 27 year, years old, Really and truly, your personality traits have really started to solidify. Now, they'll change wildly 10 years earlier than that. But if you're 30 years old and you live a certain way, think a certain way, believe a certain way, it takes far more to convince you to be different. Now, I'm trying to say that to say that if you're a person who gets pressured, being put on the spot, aren't you one of his disciples at 30, 33, even 36 years old? That's going to be hard to change. 
And if you're a person who grew up and your whole background is we have nothing to do with Gentiles, I have never eaten anything common or unclean, and I have never gone into the house of a common or unclean person. If you're even three years older than that, 33, 36, even 39 years old, something like that, that's going to be extremely hard to overcome. Now, why do I say all of that? When you go to the book of uh, Galatians, and I want you to flip over there with me, and I want to talk a little bit about timeline here because I want us to clearly get this in our minds, what we're talking about. Let's say, just for sake of argument, Peter is the same age as Jesus because that'll make it, that'll keep it it easy to remember. If he's called as an apostle at age 30, he spends that three years with Jesus and the crucifixion takes place when he's, let's say, 33. Then he's in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem, and he spends that three, three and a half year period where it's only Jews in the beginning of the church. Now he's about 36. When he's 36 years old, the church, remember the persecution with Paul and church spreads out. And Peter will end up going to Joppa, which is not far north, and then he will be sent for by Cornelius' men. And so he's roughly 36 years old. And at age 36, now for the first time in his life, he is going to convert and be brothers with a Gentile. I wonder how many people that's the case with the church. Sometimes I wonder, you know, some of you that are older, even like me and, and older, you remember when things were radically different. In fact, to describe to the younger generation the way the world was, it's, it's almost hard for them to believe. And I wonder sometimes when integration began and all of that kind of thing, and, you know, the first person that was light-skinned brought home the first person that was dark-skinned and they were dating, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. For the older generation, that's, that's got to be shocking. And put yourself in Peter's shoes. If there was a prejudice stronger than blacks and whites in the United States of America, it was Jews and Gentiles. I mean, even at the worst of times in this country, there still was quite a bit of interaction between dark-skinned people and light-skinned people. Not so with Jews and Gentiles. So you're 36 years old, and now God is saying, for the first time, you go into their house, you take them in your house, you go into their house, you baptize, there is no difference whatsoever, they're going to be your brothers in Christ. I'd say that's shocking. I mean, that's a shock to the system. But it is the truth, and so it makes it right. Now, just to go a little bit further with that, if we turn to the book of Galatians, I just want you to scan a couple of things with me. What is Galatians? When is Galatians written? All right, let's have a brief history lesson. Not much, but brief. If we look at the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is probably converted about the same time, right around the same time that Cornelius is being converted. And so again, all about that same time. And if you'll notice in chapter 2 and verse 1, when Galatians is written, now Paul will talk about being converted going out into the desert, spending time with Jesus. And look at chapter 2, verse 1. It was 14 years after. So if we're talking about A.D. 31, now we're coming ahead to A.D. 45. Paul has spent time in Antioch with Barnabas. 
all of that kind of thing. Gentiles have been part of the church now for 15 years, 14 years. All of that's been going on. But if you notice, if you go down to Galatians 2 and you look at where we're talking about, remember Paul is still talking about this time period. He talks about meeting with Peter and James, notice, and John here down in verse 9. And then it says in verse 11, it doesn't tell you exactly a time reference, but you can figure it. When Peter was come up to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Now let me tell you, this can't be long after, and I'll tell you why. First of all, Paul gives you a, a reference of 14 years. Secondly, notice it's Peter, James, and John here. We've got to be talking about the mid-40s, somewhere around AD 45, 44, 45. It can be no later, and I don't think it is this late, but no later than AD 49. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know it because of the whole business with the churches of Galatia, the, the problem in Galatia, and they deal with it in Acts 15, and we know that's AD 49. I'm not going to get too far off in that, but that's my point. So, what do we have with Peter? Well, we've got a middle-aged man now. Shocked in his mid-30s, you're going to baptize Gentiles, and there's no difference between them and you. Okay. You're going to go into their house. You're going to eat with them. You're going to interact with them. You're going to socialize with them. There is no difference between you and them. He accepts that. He knows that for a truth. But then, and you see that I say on the outline, because I believe this, old prejudices, old beliefs are hard to overcome. You can know the truth of something. You can believe the truth of something. And yet it still doesn't feel right. You still feel the same prejudice. You still believe the same things. You still harbor the same old sentiment. We hear it today. We are 50 years removed from civil rights. And some people will say and have said to me recently, and I mean within the last week, things aren't any different now than they were back then. I beg you different. I think they're different. Um, I believe they're different. I said to someone recently in the last few days, I think we've made, I know you look around you and all the mess that's going on, and it doesn't seem that way, but I think we've made tremendous progress. I certainly know of far more churches that are integrated, this one being a prime example, but far more churches that are integrated, for example, than I, I knew of in the 70s, which was zero, <laughs> you know, it might have been here, but I wasn't up in New Jersey back then. Things are better. They ain't perfect. And there's a lot of work still to be done. And it behooves us as Christians to do the work. And I think that's what's going on in Galatians. All right, so what is going on in Galatians? Well, if we were to go back, and let's do that, go back to the book of Acts, and I'll flip back and forth. You can hold your finger at Galatians, or we'll come back to it. Go back to Acts for a moment and let's see what we're dealing with here. Paul goes on this missionary journey, notice chapter 13. He tells you, you know, Luke tells you where he goes. He gives you that breakdown. Down uh, chapter 13, verse 14, beginning, he goes into Galatia. And there are a number of churches that begin on this trip. Churches, notable churches, Lystra, Derby, Iconium. 
Antioch in Pisidia, which is like a subsidiary of the eighth, the area of Galatia. But then as you flip through and you get through chapter 14, you come to the end of 14 and they are finishing up this missionary journey. Notice down in verse 26, at the very end of the chapter, they sailed to Antioch. And the Bible will tell us that they came, they gathered with the church, and look at verse 28, when, it's, when Luke just simply says, there they abode a long time with the disciples. Now you can look elsewhere, and I won't take time to do this, but you can look elsewhere, and long time for Luke can be a couple of weeks to a year or more. So you, you won't know anything from there. However, you can look at other things that occur, and you can pretty well nail this down because of some references Luke gives. He spends several months at the end of A.D. 48, the beginning of A.D. 49, in Antioch, and the question is why. We're more concerned with that. Well, the why is because of what he writes in Galatians, because he writes the book during that time. Now, here's what happens. And then I'm going to show you where the Bible tells you so you know it's what happens. What happens is, the problem with Jews and Gentiles, and should Gentiles be added, and is there any difference between Gentiles, all of that was settled when Cornelius and his household were baptized. Every bit. It's all settled. God is very clear. There's no difference. God even baptizes the household of Cornelius, you can read this at the end of chapter, chapter 11 in Acts, to show there's no difference. And Peter says that. The significance of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is to show there's absolutely no difference between Jews and Gentiles. It's settled. But you've got about 15 years. And if you're looking at real human beings, and you're looking at human beings who get it, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. What does that mean? Go out and convert anybody you can. And churches begin, and members of the church are both Jews and Gentiles. It's easy to see that's the case. And the more they do that, the more Jews, to start with, go out and convert Gentiles, and they're added to the church and so forth, the matter Jews, who are still just Jews, the matter they get. And there's two fronts where they try to head all of this off. One is just outright persecution of people like Paul. You can see this, obviously, in Acts, especially when you get to 17, 18, 19. Outright persecution of anybody teaching the gospel to Gentiles. And that's what blows up and finally into Paul being arrested and going into prison. And the second front is that they influence, or some influence is given, to Jews who convert to Christ... And so they begin teaching that Gentiles basically have to be proselytized and become Jews in order to be Christians. Now read this with me in chapter 15. Paul has written the book of Galatians, and we'll go and note that in just a moment. But after writing the book of Galatians in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren. And they said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, Paul will answer that. He and Barnabas will answer that and so forth. But I want you to go down to verse 6, uh, verse 5, and you can clearly see what they're teaching. There arose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees. Remember, Paul had been a Pharisee. 
But a certain of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, so they're Christians, they believed, saying it was needful to circumcise them, meaning the Gentiles, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So if I had to boil it down, this is what I'd say. They are teaching. They are teaching if you want to be a Christian and you want to be saved in Jesus Christ, you've got to first become a Jew, and then as a Jew, you can be converted and become a Christian. That's really what they're teaching. And so they're, they're going to answer this in chapter 15. But I want to go back to the book of Galatians. Paul, just before he goes to that meeting, sits down and writes the book of Galatians. Now, what prompts the writing of the book of Galatians? Well, that teaching. And if you scan through the book of Galatians, you're going to see that. Let's do that for a moment. Chapter 3, for example. You fools. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Galatians... You fools, who has bewitched you, the King James says, that you should not obey the truth. And basically he's going to explain in chapter 3 that you leave the gospel of Christ to go back under the law. Why, verse 19, why serve the law? The law of Moses. The law of Moses had its purpose. It was to bring us, verse 24, to Christ. And now that you are brought to Christ, you are obviously... Verse 25, no longer under the schoolmaster, which represents the law of Moses. Chapter 5, notice in chapter 5, and I'm just using different passages, it's all through the book. But chapter 5, stand in the liberty that is in Jesus Christ, verse 1. Don't put on again the yoke of bondage, which is the law. If a man becomes entangled in the law... Notice, he falls from grace. This is verses 1 through 5 here. He falls from grace. Christ will no longer profit him, etc. Paul is teaching against that. And so in the, in the book of Galatians, there is that teaching. And it's affecting the church. And it's gaining steam. And that's obvious. So Paul deals with it in the book of Galatians. And all the apostles and elders come together in chapter 15. And they teach against it. But there's another incident that prompts it. Go back to chapter 2. How much steam is it gaining? We might ask. How much effect are Jews who are insisting on Judaism with all its prejudices and so forth that they, these Jews, this generation of Jews, has wrapped up in Judaism? How much is it affecting? Well, you know the answer. Galatians 2, down in verse 11. When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, Paul said, because he was to be blamed. Now, what happened? Well, before certain people came from James, I think he probably means James, the Lord's brother, down in Jerusalem. But before certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself uh, uh, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled, or the word is literally hypocritized likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with the hypocrisy. And when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I rebuked Peter to the face, is the idea. It's got to be stopped. And that's what Paul was saying. What was happening? The teaching that you had to obey the law of Moses, the 
teaching that you had to be proselytized and become a Jew before you could become a Christian was gaining steam. And you take a man that when put on the spot, gets scared. He's back in a corner. You're one of his disciples too, aren't you? No. No, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. You talk just like him. You act just like him. You're one of No, I'm not. And they push it to the point that he curses and swears he doesn't even know Jesus. You take that kind of man with that kind of makeup and put him in a corner. He's happy-go-lucky, eating with Gentile Christians. Everything is great. He knows the truth. He was there and baptized Cornelius. But you put him on the spot. All of his old prejudices that he grew up with. You don't have anything to do with Gentiles. You don't eat with them. You don't go in their house. They don't come into yours. And you add that together with it. And you add it to prominent brethren. And that's the way they see Jews from Jerusalem. Prominent brethren who come to a Gentile area. We don't know why. Check up on him, see what's going on. We have no idea why. But when they came, he got scared. I could go back and, you know, drag up certain people from my past, my childhood, that I would think, just knowing them, if they haven't done a whole lot of changing, they're just as prejudiced as prejudiced can be. And if they were to walk in to see you know, there's Michael White. wonder what he's doing these days. I can see if you had this makeup. You know, if you're scared. You don't like being put on the spot. You don't like people pointing a finger and challenging you. You don't like that. Deep down inside you somewhere, as much as you try to bury it, as much as you know it's not right, this is how you grew up. This is what you think. This is what you feel. They're just different. White people are different. Black people are different. And you just don't, you can, you can get to know them, and you can sit on a pew and worship with them. But I mean, call them, you know, equal, the same, exactly the same. They're your brothers and sisters, family, friends. Mm. And I know a lot of people that are there. I hope you're not. But what would it feel like? Somebody checking up on you to see how far you've gone. I don't know what happened to Peter here, but I do know this. He became a hypocrite. He got scared. He wouldn't eat. He feared. The Bible says that. He got scared and would not eat with Gentiles when Jews were looking at him and watching him. And Paul said, Peter, that ain't right. If we're going to act like the world and at the same time try to preach to people, don't be like the world, well, the world is going to point a finger and say hypocrite, and they're going to be right. It's not right. You can't do this. And now Peter is on the spot. Now I want to slow down for a moment, and I want to consider Peter as we close. There's any question that Paul rebukes him. You know what's interesting in Galatians, though? doesn't tell you how Peter responded to it. You have no idea, just from Galatians, if he got mad at Paul and said, Paul, who do you think you are? I was there at the beginning, you're a Johnny come later. If he looked at Paul and said, you know what, just shut up and get out of here. <laughs> we don't know what he said. 
We don't know if he wept bitterly again and got on his knees and repented to God. But I suspect that's what he did. And I want to tell you why. Two things. And I'm going to close with this. Go back with me to Acts 15. I said we'd come back here. So, end of 14, Paul writes this letter. So the incident with Peter has already happened. He rebukes Peter to the face. In chapter 15, problem's still going on. That's clear. We read that. People are still teaching this. But notice verse 2. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. And so they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now the Bible tells us they do all come together. All the apostles, remember James is dead, the apostle James is dead. But all the the apostles that are left and the elders of these churches and so forth, they get together in this big meeting. Now I want you to notice when it says in verse 6, the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Verse 7, and when there had been much disputing, the first guy to get up and address the crowd was Peter. I've always thought that's odd. I say always, but once I kind of put all this stuff together, I thought that's odd because as soon as he stood up, you know, we would be inclined to think that these brethren would say, man, you got to be kidding. You know, two months ago, you know what you were doing. But that's not, not how Christians act, is it? I mean, Peter's an apostle. He made a bad mistake. There isn't any question. But I suspect he repented of it. But he stood up, and this is what he said, and you can see it here. Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, remember this is about 14 years earlier, a good while ago, I say 14, 18 years earlier, I'm losing track of it, but about 18 years earlier, God made choice among, uh, among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And he's, of course he's telling the story of the conversion of Cornelius. And God, who knows the hearts, bore them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And so now, therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor were able to, nor us were able to bear? Peter repents. And if you're a Christian and someone rebukes you and confronts you and says what you're doing is not right and you consider that and you repent then you repent you change it and when you go forward you do differently and he goes back he says you know what God chose me to carry the gospel to the Gentiles from the very first and I'm not going to go back to my old prejudices why tempt you God let's all stand together in this thing and teach the truth now that's one reason why I know he repented The second reason is this. And I'll ask you as a pointed question, not for anybody to answer, but I'll ask you. Has anybody ever rebuked you for something? I mean, really told you you're wrong in what you're doing. Made you feel bad about what you were doing. Now, my question is this. If you knew what they were saying was right, and you changed it, how do you feel about that person? That's the question. Because, you know, sometimes what happens is someone comes to me and rebukes me. And a human being, this can happen. They rebuke you, and you know they're right. And you know that you have to change what you're doing, but there's just that little feeling toward that person. You don't like it. You don't like 
being told you're wrong, you don't like someone, and I would stood him to the face, Paul said. That can be embarrassing. It can hurt. It, I mean, it can dredge up all kinds of emotions within you. So how do you feel about that person? Let me show you how Peter felt about Paul. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3 with me, if you will. Peter is closing out his life here, closing out his work. And he makes mention of some things that are written in the epistles and some things that are hard to understand. And down in verse 15, this is what he says. Account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, as also in all his epistles. You ever thought about when Peter says that? That one of the epistles Paul wrote, one of the epistles out there circulating around, was an epistle that had an account of Peter being rebuked to the face. Peter was wrong. And Paul rebuked him. And forever, as long as time goes on, people will read Galatians 2 and know that Peter was a hypocrite. And yet to Peter, he is our beloved brother, Paul. I know Peter repented. Old prejudices, old beliefs, old habits, old ways of thinking are hard to overcome. But if you're a Christian, with the help of God, you can overcome and practice the truth. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for you, if you're willing to confess your belief in Him, change your life. Even if that's a difficult process, you'll have to spend changing if you want to. And you'll be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. The Lord will certainly forgive you. If you're here tonight and there's something in your past that needs to be put behind you, remember the Apostle Peter had to do that, and so did many, many others. Put it behind you tonight. 